Welcome to the podcast of Life Change Church, where we exist to love people to life change. We hope that this podcast is both challenging and encouraging to you. Enjoy the message. Um, If you've been with us any length of time, you know we're doing a series called Stories. We do them every July. And the reason that we do this series is so that the people of Life Change can get to know the people of Life Change so that you can hear their story of how Jesus changed their life and then find some hope, some faith, some encouragement of how he can continue to change your life. And so the the key passage for this series is found in Psalm chapter 71. If you have your Bible with you, you can turn there. If you have the YouVersion app, uh, you can go there. Um, it was brought to my attention that I kind of mashed up the NIV version and the NASB Um, So you won't find an exact copy of this, uh, but this is what it says. Psalm 71, verse 15 through 18 says, My mouth will tell of your righteous acts, of your deeds of salvation all the day, for their number is past my knowledge. With the mighty deeds of the Lord God, I will come. I will remind them of your righteousness. Yours alone, God, from my youth you have taught me, and I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. So even to old age and gray hairs, O God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation and your power to all those who come. And that's why we do this series, so that we can proclaim the might of God, so we can share his deeds. And so with that, if you will please help me welcome this week's storytellers, Seth and Tanya D'Amato. Well, Seth and Tanya, I'm so excited that you are willing to share your story with us this morning. Um, And with that, let's just jump right into it. Seth, why don't you go ahead and share what early life was like for you? Well, um, I am Seth Diamato. I am the current operations director here. And life um, as a child for me was interesting. My father was a pastor. So being a preacher's kid, I'm sure you can probably imagine what kind of um, pedestal, I guess, I was expected to kind of live up to, right? The expectations and things. Um, you know, the preacher's kid doesn't ever do anything wrong, that type of stuff. Yeah, well, you know, that, that, that only works for so long. Um, <clears throat> so growing up, my father liked to uh, start churches or revitalize churches. So we were never really in one specific area for very long. I was actually born in Ohio, but I don't remember any time here uh, until, you know, being uh, towards later in life. Um, The youngest I remember was being in Iowa. We spent some time there. And then the predominant part of my life, I remember being in Texas when we just move around a lot in in Texas and, um, again, start churches or revitalize churches and then move on to the next one. Um, I guess my first experience experience with the Lord that I remember, uh, you know, I mean, being a, a pastor's son, I, again, you could probably imagine I was baptized half a dozen times, you know, through my life. Um, each one probably, you know, meaning something specific at that point in my life. Uh, you know, but my first real legitimate experience that I remember with uh, encountering the Lord and the Holy Spirit, I was about 10 years old. And we were driving in the family minivan. My mother was driving. My father was a terrible driver. Uh, it must be where my brother got it. But 
Um, so it was raining very bad, and my mother was panicking, just in freak mode. Couldn't you know? Couldn't concentrate. Um, couldn't see a thing, and so I started praying. And immediately, I, you know, got this this feeling, this word to turn the windshield wipers off. Which who does that in a thunderstorm? So you know, I told my mom that, and she hesitated, but still followed through with it. She turned them off, and immediately it stopped raining. Um, never forget it. It was the coolest thing I've uh, you know that I can remember at being that young, and just knowing for sure that. You know, God's talking to me, and this is what he said, Mom. I know it sounds crazy, but just, just give it a shot, right? And sure enough, she did, and it stopped raining. So cool experience growing up surrounded by God, but this is your first encounter with God, and it was absolutely like this big step of faith, right? Awesome. And that definitely laid a foundation for your life. <clears throat> Tanya, what about you? What was early life like for you? Um, I grew up here in Newark, and... Um, I have an older brother, Jeremy, an older sister, Trisha, and a younger sister, Tessa. Um, I also grew up in a Christian home. We went to a Christian fellowship church, and uh, I went to school there as well until eighth grade. And uh, it was there at a young age where I, you know, dedicated my life to the Lord. Um, seemed like, you know, Christ was always the center of our family, and we had, you know, Bible studies and you know, we prayed together and, um, you know, um, as I grew into teenage years, I, you know, went off to the high school, had hundreds of students that I wasn't used to. Um, but, you know, having God at the center of my life at, at a young age really helped me get through high school years. And uh, I credit, you know, knowing God and having a relationship with him so young to getting me through and, you know, keeping, leaning on my faith, getting me through those times. Yeah. So both of you grew up in in Christian homes, both of you have, you know, have a foundation of Christ laid for you, but you also both have some really difficult, really traumatic experiences in your life that are absolutely a part of your story and why you're here today. Tanya, you started when you were really young. Why don't you go ahead and share what you're comfortable sharing? <clears throat> yeah. Um, so even though um, I grew up in a Christian home and we had a great relationship with God. You know, we're not immune to sin. Nobody is. And we face challenges. And there's one in, one sin in particular that, you know, changed everything, changed my life. Um, I was about six or seven. And my brother, Jeremy, he's you know, seven years older than me. So he was about 14. Um, he began to um, molest me. And, you know, as a, as a kid, I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know that what was happening was wrong. I just knew I didn't like it, you know. And um, I was afraid to tell anyone because I was afraid he would get in trouble or, um, you know, I just I didn't even know how to articulate what was happening. And so, um, you know, around age 10, I ended up having like a sleepover and I ended up just talking to the girls about some of the instances that had happened. And, you know, one of them went home and told their mom and that mom you know, went to my parents and said, you know, some, you know, what, what, told them what was going on. And um, thankfully, thank God for that friend and for her standing up for me and being my voice, you know, um, because that helped put an end to it all. I was able to go stay with that friend and my brother was able to be taken out of the home for a while until we figured out, you know, what are we going to do? How are we going to handle this as a family? Um, so we ended up going into therapy and it was at that point where I was able to uh, for the first time, really openly talk about what what had happened and confront my brother, you know, and talk to him in a safe place. And 
say, you know, you hurt me and, you know, I, I, we need to get through this. I want to forgive you. I want to have a relationship with you as my brother. And I don't want you to suffer anymore because it's, you know, he was suffering too. Um, so he was able to apologize to me at that time. And um, we got we got to heal a bit through it. You know, of course, I wanted it all to be over and better right then and there. But, you know, it took took years, you know, a process of forgiveness to get past the pain and to get past the fact that I was a victim. But eventually, you know, God said, you're not a victim anymore. You're a child of God. And I've restored you. And, you know, our Redeemer lives, you know, and he, he pulled me out of the deepest darkness, you know, and he will go to the highest heights for you. He won't forsake you. He's always there for you. And, you know, I don't tell the story so that I can point my finger at my abuser because, you know what, God is a healer. He's a healer for the sinner. He's a healer for the victim. So, you know, God had his hand on me as well as on my brother. Um, And I just want you guys to know that I forgave him mostly for me. It wasn't like, oh, if I forgive him, he's in the clear and, you know, like it wasn't about him. It was about my heart and what I needed to do for me. Because God said, you know, you can live with hate, you can live with anger and unforgiveness in your heart, but you're not going to get to fulfill the destiny that I have for you. And I have a great destiny for you. And I just, I leaned on to that. I leaned into my faith and I trusted God and I remained faithful and he remained faithful to me. Tanya, a couple of things that, that I absolutely love about both what you shared with me in your home and, and, and things you've shared this morning. It's just your heart for God, right? And, and church, I, w- I want to take a moment and just pause right here. And I just want to just kind of encourage you in what Tanya said. Forgiveness uh, was, was not for Jeremy. It was for her. Yes, she did have to forgive. It was Jeremy she had to forgive. But it was Tanya that was set free because she chose to forgive. Unforgiveness does not hold the transgressor in prison. It holds you in prison. Um, and so I love that you discovered that. And the other thing I love is even in, in the depths of your trauma, you still displayed the heart of Christ for your brother. You know, Scripture tells us that while we were yet sinners, Christ commendeth his love towards us and that he died while we were still sinning. So even in the the midst of your pain and your sorrow and your confusion, in your own journey to forgiveness, you're still like, yeah, Jeremy really wronged me, but I still want to look out for my brother. Like, I still want him to be forgiven. I still want him to find the power of God. I don't want him to get in trouble. And, and I really believe that that's the heart of Christ, and I just love that about your story. Um, Seth, you also experienced some pretty difficult times. Like said, grew up in a dad's home, pastor, moved around a lot, um, talked through what that was like trying to make friends a little bit, and then at 16, you went through a really difficult situation as well. Yeah, so <clears throat> my brother and I, um, Andrew, were 14 months apart, and he and I were inseparable. I mean, we, we obviously grew up together and moving around a lot. Uh, you know, he was the only one that I had, right? He was my confidant and my best friend and, you know, my brother. So everything we did, we did it together. You know, when I was real young, even moving, it was me trying to make friends and kind of, you know, hey, you you do you, and and that just didn't work, you know? I mean, 
the more I'd push him away, the more the closer he'd want to be, and and it just you know we we were never separated. Um, when I was about sixteen, my dad passed away, and I told you we were born here. So my mother and my brother and I moved back up here, and it was rough. I I was very angry, uh, very angry at everything and everybody. Um, you know, losing your dad, especially when you're a teenager, is is not easy. And moving up here at that point, uh, you know, schools are schools are different down south. I mean, at least you know from where I came from, we were on uh, what we called a block schedule. So we'd do four classes a day at like two two and a half hours a class. So we were able to finish classes, uh, you know, a lot faster. So, for example, your English one that would take you guys an entire year up here to do, we'd have done in a semester. So I'd have English one, English two, all done in one year, um, where it would take two years here. So when I moved up here, the Ohio school system didn't seem to like that and decided to not transfer all my credits, um, which I was very, you know, <laughs> an angry guy got even angrier. And so I, I quit school. Um, you know, later I got a GED and, and college and all that stuff, but that's kind of more along the, the, the praise report later. Uh, but, you know, life life was, was not easy and uh, just angry all the time. Yeah, so both had some, some difficult experiences, um, and, and there's more difficulty to share. Um, but before we get there, let's talk about some good. Let's talk about some some excitement, right? So, Tanya, you're at work. This guy, Seth, shows up really to pick up another girl. And what happens? Yeah, I was working at um, Pizza Cottage on Mount Vernon Road um, in August of 2009. And, yeah, he was there, and I could tell he was kind of, you know, vibing another girl. And he didn't know the girl, but I knew that, you know, she had a family and a boyfriend and everything. So I was like, oh, no, I'm not letting that happen. So I went ahead and took, you know, their table. I was going to be their waitress and did my little flirting thing, you know. And he, we started talking about motorcycles. My, my dad rides motorcycles, and it was something that, you know, I really enjoyed doing. And um, he had his motorcycle out in the parking lot. And he's like, yeah, I want to come see my bike. And you want to go for a ride sometime? And what time do you get off, you know? And so, you know, he, he was there at 3.30 when I got off. And uh, we rode to uh, a friend's house, one of his friend's house. And come to find out, I knew that friend, which was really awesome, Matt Green. Um, you know, and it was like, oh, wow. You know, and he, he was just surprised as, as we were. And, uh, yeah, it's really interesting how we got together. And then we... Um, have really been inseparable since since we met. Now I like how with mom and dad here, you left out the hundred mile an hour part <laughs> that you yeah. shared in first service. <laughs> right? Yeah, he took me for a ride, and let's just say he thought he was cool going hundred mile an hour down sixteen. Young and dumb. It's <laughs> very scary on a crotch rocket at that. So, so Seth, talk talk about your experience of you know meeting Tanya, dating, and then talk about what led into marriage for you guys. Well, um, again, we, you know, it all started at the pizza cottage. My little brother and I would frequent there a lot. You know, we lived on uh, Granville Road right by the, um, the, uh, yes, the uh, cemetery plate, or not cemetery, yeah. funeral home, yes. And uh, <clears throat> so we, we'd go to pizza cottage a lot. It was uh, me, him, and his uh, daughter, Madison, at the time. And, 
you know, I mean, that's that's pretty much how we met. And then, like she said, we've been inseparable ever since. Um, so, oh, it was not too far into the relationship where I just, again, being an angry guy and finally kind of hitting a wall, you know, I realized that something has to change and I can't do it alone. And so there was a couple times where, you know, I would just pour my heart out to my wife well, then girlfriend. And, you know, I mean, for myself, I grew up, you know, I was kind of raised with the belief that guys don't cry. Guys don't pour out their emotions. They just, it's just not something we do. And, you know, so in those couple instances, she really received it well. She, you know, it was, you know, it was just kind of a fearful thing that I couldn't do it. And, and finally, when I did, it was, it was relieving for myself because I was able to let some uh, some stuff out into the open, um, get us both to where there's no no secrets. You know that was a huge thing for us, uh, for me specifically, is just you know no no secrets, and um, you know she just showed me love and compassion, and I've I've never had that. I've never felt that before from anyone other than you know my immediate family, and so at that point, that's pretty much when I knew she was going to be my wife. And so I uh, had talked to Ralph, and, uh, and you know, I, I wanted to marry this woman, and so I asked his permission and, and tried to take the respectful way, and thank God that worked out for me. <laughs> and uh, on a Christmas morning at their house, uh, in front of the entire family, I, I asked her to marry me and, and be mine forever. Yeah, and, uh, and so <clears throat> when you guys did get married, she was not just becoming your wife, but Tanya also became stepmom to your son. So why don't you talk about Mason a little bit? So before we even met each other, obviously, I was, uh, you know, again, uh, just angry at the world and rebelling when I was younger. Uh, after my dad died, it was, it was just living for me for a little while. And I had my first child outside of wedlock, of course, at, um, at 18 and he was born with cerebral palsy. Some of you may have known him, Mason. And he, uh, you know, he was very disabled. He, he couldn't do anything for himself. Um, so it was difficult. Um, his mother and I never had a good relationship. And so there was, there was times to where you know, basically she would keep me from him for a year, year and a half at a time. And then finally let me back in to see him whenever it was convenient for her to see him. Um, when Tanya and I met, you know, again, being forthright with everything, wanting to have that 100% open and honest relationship, you know, that was one of the first things out of my mouth. Hey, by the way, I've got, I've got a child um, and he's very needy. So very quickly into the relationship, she wanted to get to know him. And again, you know, at that point there was, I didn't really have any relationship with him because his mother just wouldn't allow it. And so she gave me the strength and the confidence to take things into my own hands. And so we, we went to court and established shared parenting. And basically she became a, a stepmom at that point. And he was so excited. Like every everything he would he would just light our world up, you know, with his smile and he loved Jesus. Every time we'd come to church, it'd be completely quiet, you know, 
pastor be taking a breath and he just yell, praise Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And, you know, just, uh, just that heart of a child, uh, you know, when I was younger, it's, uh, you know, it, it's so, it's so much easier to really see and feel God when you're, you're younger, you have that child, that heart of a child, because you don't know what life is. You don't know how hard it can be. You've never seen those experiences that can really deflate you. And um, so, you know, the, the, the farther that you kind of get in life, the more these problems uh, come up. And so that was just one of the things that really reminded me of, of that, that childlike heart is, is with, with having Mason. Yeah, I love that you talk about when you were 10, you know, childlike faith. Mom, just shut the wipers off. And then fast forward many years later to Mason and what we would think is a deflated state, right? Because we visually see his disability. But because of his disability, he always had that heart of a child. And he always saw from that perspective. And anybody that knew him knew he was full of the joy of the Lord. I mean, it just radiated from him. And so Tanya... You kind of put your foot down, was like, no, we're going to get this kid, right? So talk about that a little bit of what it was like to be Mason's mom or stepmom. I consider myself his mom. Um, uh, he was a light of my life, you know. Um, when I met him when he was about eight, and uh, I remember the first time I met him, actually, we went to his house, and he had a home health aide there, and we took him ice cream, and, you know, he was just very welcoming, and we got along great. Um, you know, I hadn't been around a child with a handicap like that, you know, so it was, it was kind of hard at first, you know, I was kind of afraid, you know, when we first had him at our house, like, how am I going to care for him? You know, I have to give him medicine. What if I give him too much or too little or what if wrong time, you know, like he had a very strict timeline of when he had to have his medicine and be taken care of. Um, so he really taught me a lot on how to really nurture someone and care for someone, you know, um, I'm blessed that I got to be his mom and, uh. Yeah, we had a very special bond. You know, we'd pray together. I like essential oils. He'd beg me to put oils on him to help his stomach feel better or whatever it is. Um, he loved golf, avid golf fan, so he'd ask me to turn golf on all the time. And we'd play video games, the Wii. You know, we'd play golf on that. And he'd be like, yeah, I whacked it or eagle. Or, you know, he'd just get super excited about it. And he could never play golf in real life. So it's kind of interesting how he related to it so much, you know. And, uh, yeah, he was a, a blessing. Yeah, I love the fact that here's this this child that you've taken on that in the world's eyes, they just see the disability, but you're like, oh, he was such a blessing. He taught me so much. I love that perspective. Um, he passed, right, a couple of years ago. Um, so, Seth, now your dad has passed. Your son has passed, still navigating through anger. But in the middle of that, you also lost somebody that was really close to you that kind of perpetuated the anger a little bit, but also taught you something. So talk about that. So my uh, <clears throat> little brother, Andrew, I was talking to you about, he, uh, he's, he's passed away too. So I lost my fa father, I lost my brother, and I've lost my son. And, it, it, you know, loss, it, loss in general is never easy, um, especially when it's just immediate family that you're, you know, especially with Andy. I grew up with him. You know, we were thick as thieves. We did everything together. We lived together, um, you know, went in mom's house, and then we lived together outside of mom's house. Um, so everything we did, we did together. Growing up and moving around wasn't easy uh, because mostly, you know, having to 
I guess, kind of prove yourself right at the new location. Uh, people pick on you, more so him. He was kind of the run of the family. And so it was always myself really, I guess, having his back, if you will. Um, so there was a lot of fights and stuff growing up with other people just to really more so protect him. And <clears throat> so he ended up having a couple children as well. Uh, Madison uh, helped uh, raised when we lived together. And then he had another child that was stillborn. And that he, he never got over that loss. That, that haunted him until the day he died. And it actually drove him to, um, you know, measures that we, we always promised each other we would never do. And, and he, you know, that's getting into uh, drugs. And uh, that's, that's finally what took his life uh, was the drugs. And, you know, at that point it was, you know, I, I was just now kind of, starting to really kind of come out of the, the anger all the time, you know, it was more so really because of, of God intervening and more so giving me my wife today as, um, a sounding board as somebody who can help show me, uh, you know, when I'm lashing out, if you will, uh, because that's, I, I never noticed it, you know, it was just, it was a, it was like a trigger, you know, it, one, one false word, one thing that I didn't like, and next thing you know, I, I am angry at the world and taking it out on anybody and everybody. Um, and it, it, it really kind of got worse when, you know, lo losing all these um, family members. And fortunately, you know, God is able to, um, you know, like the wife said, reach down into the darkest depths or reach you on the highest mountaintops. You know, I mean, he, he'll never leave you, never forsake you. And I'm just thankful that uh, he brought me my wife to uh, help me out through it all. Yeah, because Newark is pretty small and I've been in a couple of churches in this area, I've had the, the joy of going to church with family from both of you, right? And I knew Andy, um, awesome, love that dude. And even in the end, whatever he could, he, he knew what happened, but he still cried out for God, man. And, um, and, and, and I love that. And I love that you're able to sit here and say like, because of these things that happened in my life, I was filled with a whole lot of anger. But Tanya helped me. She directed me to, to let that stuff go. So Tanya, um, we're, we're, we'd love to say we're done with the trauma, but we're not, <laughs> right? So not only did you go through Andy's loss, because you and Seth were already together by that point, um, you also lost Jeremy. And so talk through that a little bit. Yeah, my brother, when he was 36, um, passed away due to a freak accident, um, very unexpected. And, you know, for me, it was a little complicated, you know, because he had hurt me in the past and because of what we went through. Um, so, you know, I battled with guilt, feeling kind of relieved, kind of that, you know, he wasn't here anymore. But then I felt guilty because, like, it's my brother. I should be mourning him, you know, and I did, I did mourn him and I still grieve him. I still miss him and tell my kids about him, share the good things about him because he was an amazing man of God. And, you know, as, as he grew up, he turned his life around and he was active in the community and, um, in our church and went on missions and he had a heart for the lost, you know, and, um, but I do feel like, you know, he was also tormented at times, you know, um, I, kind of had to go back to praying to God and asking him, you know, for to help me to still choose to forgive, you know, still choose to forgive him. And uh, 
I don't know if he left this earth forgiving himself because I never got that opportunity to have another conversation with him really about what happened. But I do pray that um, he found his peace because I definitely have been set free. And uh, I hope that he knew that. You know, I thought maybe, you know, because we were close, not really close, but like as adults, you know, we still were in each other's presence and were able to have, you know, a functioning relationship um, at family functions and, you know, like we'd call each other here and there, um, you know, so I would hope that that helped him understand that I forgive him and how much I love him and how much I wanted good for him and his family. Um, you know, he raised two amazing boys and, uh, yeah, I mean, him him dying um, has definitely impacted our family in many ways, different ways. Um, but I really feel like I was able to even let go even more of the pain. You know, now that he's not here, um, it's a lot easier for me to go about my life and move forward and uh, and forgive him. Yeah, so created a huge conflict in you, right? Tanya, the human that suffered all this pain feels like relief. But Tanya, the, the, the regenerated child of God, is like, oh my gosh, but that's my brother. And, and one of the things I love about your story, and you know, we talked a, a little bit this week and then even this morning, um, as you were talking with mom and dad, like, hey, we're about like, to really share this family secret publicly, but I still wanna honor Jeremy. Like, yes, this happened, but I, and that speaks so much of your heart, Tanya, and of the work that God has done in you. Um, that's what we're talking about. Forgiveness frees the person who is forgiving because we wouldn't be able to say, I want to honor Jeremy and say he still chased after God. He still served God. He still raised two amazing boys. That's the power of forgiveness, church. And that's why if you're walking in unforgiveness, I just want to encourage you to find the strength to forgive. And then even this morning you shared before service that while talking with mom and dad and prepping for, for today, you found another layer of forgiveness. You, you thought you had arrived, but God was still like, no, Tanya, here's still a little more that you need to let go of. And that's one of my favorite things about ministry is the way the Holy Spirit ministers to the minister while they're preparing. And so I love it. Um, but this is a question I, I have for both of you. I knew some of your story because of knowing your family. I didn't know nearly this much until we got together. I think of my story, I thought I went through some pretty tough times. I haven't experienced anything even close to what you guys have experienced. And I know I've been at crossroads where I've been like, God, am I, am I still going to chase you or am I going to blame you? You certainly have been at those crossroads. So as individuals, like Seth, I want you to tell me about Seth. And Tanya, I want you to share about Tanya. Where in the midst of all of this tragedy do you still find the strength to chase God, still find the strength to sit here and say God is good? Well, for me, it was <clears throat> basically hitting a wall. You know, I mean, um, there, there's only so much anger that, you know, one person can allow their cup to be filled with right you know i mean it was overflowing with anger and um i had to do something about it something with it and i couldn't i couldn't you know fix it myself i, I tried you know i went to family doctors i i've spoke to people you know i, I was put on prozac I, you know i mean i've done everything short of 
anything humanly possible at that point to try to fix it myself, and I, I wasn't getting anywhere. It wasn't it wasn't fixed. It wasn't gone. I wasn't feeling right, you know. So um, it, at some point, I finally just gave it all to God, and um, you know, I think I think He saw this obviously coming because He gave me He gave me Tanya, and that's just. Uh, you know, between him and her has been life changing. I am, I've, I'm not the same person I, I used to be, um, in really any, any facet of my life. And I, I really just owe it all to God. I'm, you know, it's, there's, once you get to that point, you know, there, there has to be something that changes and it, you know, it all starts in your heart. And I, I, I finally realized that and, uh, gave it to the Lord. Tony, what about you? Where, through all this, do you find the strength to say, in spite of it all, and actually because of it all, <laughs> I can still say God is still good? Yeah, I think um, growing up, you know, young, being so involved in church and starting my relationship with God at a young age really, really was the most impactful thing for me. Um, seeing him real, you know, he showed himself real to me in so many ways. Um, there were times when I was all alone and you know, I felt like I was all alone, even though I had support around me, you know, and I had people who did love me around. But when you go through something like that, you don't know, you know, exactly what love is sometimes, you know. And so I did. Just feel like, you know, God has always been there for me and he's never left me. And if I can get past what happened to me as a child and become someone and not let that tear me down. I mean, the good has always overcome the bad. No matter what, I've always been an overcomer. He's always made me the victorious one. And um, I just never let go of that. And I just continue to trust God because why not? You know, I mean, without him, it's there's nothing. And with him, there's just so many options and so many opportunities. And he's opened so many doors. And he gave me Seth when he knew that I needed someone to love me for me, to accept me for me, to be respectful to me. I needed someone where it was easy to be in a relationship with him. And it, and it was. And that's why I married him, because it's not difficult. It's because he loves me. He lets me be me. He doesn't control me. Um, and we understand each other, you know, and um, I, I trust God and that's why. Just to kind of piggyback on that just a little bit is, you know, I, I say I hit a wall and it was finally, you know, hey, God, I, I need you. But I would have never got to that point if I didn't have the foundation that my father gave me of introducing me to God and leading me to know who Jesus is and why he died on the cross Although, you know, I, I, you know, put that aside and tried to do my own thing for some years, it was that foundation. And same with, with Tanya as to how we were able to realize and see um, that we, we can't do it alone, that, you know, hey, we, we, we need to lean into him. Yeah, so I guess two takeaways here in, in, in sequential order is one, listen to what they're talking about. So if you're out there and you're looking for a spouse, listen to the things that Seth and Tanya have said respect, um, did not control, loving, supportive, listener, pointed me back to Christ. That's what you should look for in a spouse. And then listen to their story of the foundation that their parents laid. So parents of young children, it's because of the foundation that mom and dad laid 
of Jesus Christ in their home, that even in the midst of, admittedly, sometimes wanting to walk away, still coming back to the foundation of Jesus Christ. Parents, it's critical that we share Christ with our children and lay that foundation in our home. Speaking of kids, Tanya, you shared with me that even as a child, you always knew that you were going to have a son, Obadiah. It did not happen the way you envisioned. So let's talk about what that looked like for you. Well, can I start with Mason's side of it then? So, you know, when, when I had Mason and then we had Mia, I was done. I did not want any more children. You know, the two of them was more than enough for us to handle. And, you know, one of the things his mother and I always got into fight about was how much I worked and how, you know, when she allowed me to be around, I couldn't be around more than weekends because I had a job. I had to pay the bills. I had to pay child support. Always wanted that check she did, but she was always mad that I had to go work for it. Kind of weird. Anyways, with that said, when Mason passed, nothing changed. I didn't want it to start over. I was done. And I didn't, you know, I didn't want to have to have another child that was needy again, you know. I was scared about, you know, what if this child has a disability? And I, did, I just didn't want anything to do with having another kid. And about a year after he passed, it was almost like I woke up one morning and my heart had completely changed. I wanted a son. I knew I was going to have a son. I needed a son to carry on my name. My little brother didn't have uh, a, a boy. And, you know, my older brother, he's got a different last name. And so I wanted to carry on my name. I needed, I need a boy. And... You can run with it. And the reason why his heart was changed suddenly <laughs> is because me, I, um, I, I have always known I was going to have a boy when I was younger. Um, I always wanted children. I thought I wanted eight until I had one, and then it all changed. <laughs> it's amazing how that happens. <laughs> yeah. um, but I did. I, I knew, um, you know, at a young age that I would have a son and that I was going to name him Obadiah. And, you know, as I grew older and as we were married and we started – you know, and when I got pregnant and uh, we had Mason, obviously, Mason was a lot to handle. And I kept asking, you know, God, how am I going to have how am I going to have any more children? You know, I got to care for him. I want my attention to be there for him. He needs me, you know. And so, you know, God's like, just be patient, you know, just be patient. Your time will come. Your time will come. And, you know, we always would ask, too, how are we going to take care of him? Mason's getting so big, you know, like it's hard to lift him up. It's hard to uh, really interact and be able to do things with him. And uh, God always just kind of gave me a piece about it. And I had always been praying, like, change change Seth's heart, because I knew he didn't want any more kids. And I knew that I wanted a boy. And I even told friends, you know, with, he may not even know that I did that, but I would tell friends, I'm having a son. His name's going to be Obadiah Shea. She never pressured me at all. She never hounded me. She never said nothing about it because she knew how I felt about it. Yeah. No, she did the best thing. She prayed instead. Yeah, I prayed right? instead. That and shows you the power of prayer, <laughs> folks. Yeah. And then when he um, cha had a change of heart, he said, you know, hey, babe, what do you think about having a baby? You know? And I said, yeah. And he was like, and it's going to be a boy. And then we began to speak Obadiah's name, you know, into existence. And we began to pray for him. And um, sure enough, here he is. He was born December 10th, 2019. Um, it's interesting because I found a journal entry from September of 2018. So I wasn't pregnant. 
And uh, I had a note that said, I'll meet you soon, Obadiah Shea. And I had, you know, the meaning of his name written down. It means worshiper of the Lord. And um, when I was pregnant with Mia, someone had prophesied over me that I was going to have a son. And I didn't know I was having a girl at that time. So I'm thinking, oh, it's going to be Obadiah, you know. And then it was a girl. And I'm like, God, I thought I was having Obadiah, you know. I thought I was having a son. And uh, but it's funny how you look back, you know, and you think how your life's going to be and what you want it to be. And then God's like, no, in my timing, it'll be what what you want. He does give you the desires of your heart. He does. Maybe not when you want it. Maybe not, you don't know when, but he does. And um, I'm thankful for that. Yeah. And this baby is so full of joy, man. Yeah. Like I saw him at your house when we were there, his eyes just sparkle. Mm-hmm. And the cool thing is like, you knew this as a child that this was going to happen. But again, life does not ever look the way we think it's going to look, right? So you're going to have Obadiah. No, you got Mason instead who needed you constantly. And Seth, because of Mason, done. Mason, Mia, that's enough. I'm out. But bang, here we are. Obadiah's here. And it was really because of Mason's passing that you felt free enough to have Obadiah. Obadiah is not the only life that Mason's death provided for. Talk through that a little bit. Yeah, we um, were able to donate some organs um, from Mason. And... I actually grew up with a guy named Josiah Brown. We were uh, friends, and we went on mission trips together, and he needed a kidney transplant. He had been on the list for, I think, several years waiting to get a transplant. He needed one very bad. And he had six kids. You know, he married um, a woman and has some kids now, and he wasn't able to interact with them. And we knew he needed that. And so we went to Children's, and we said, hey, we have – someone who needs a kidney, like, is there any way we can give him Mason's? Like, when we knew that Mason wasn't going to live on, we had to make a choice, you know, and we wanted him to be able to live on through other people if that was at all possible. So, um, you know, children said they had never seen anything like that. Like, oh, someone, you know somebody that needs an organ and you're going to, you know, do that. So it was uh, it was awesome, a great testimony to be able to share with even the people there. They just couldn't believe it. And Josiah now is is doing so well. He took the kidney great and um, he's able to interact with his children. When I see him, I I can't help but get emotional because it's like I see a little bit of Mason, you know, it's, he's got a part of him and he is living on and it's a beautiful thing to be able to see someone live through him, you know, and um, he did, he touched other lives too. We donated his lungs, you know, eyes, different tissue and all different things. And we got, we've gotten letters from the people who he's, he saved and who are doing well now because of him. And Really, we did mourn him, and at the same time, you know, without him passing, we wouldn't have Obadiah most likely right now. Without him passing, these people would who needed him right then at that moment when he passed wouldn't be alive right now, you know? And it's like God showed me to give me some kind of comfort. Like, that's why he was put on this earth. That's why he lived the life that he lived, you know, because you wonder, why, God? Why does he have cerebral palsy? Why is he confined to that chair, you know? He was a happy boy no matter what. But that's why. It's because that little 13-year-old needed his lungs. Because when they got in that car accident, they had to have those lungs right then. You know, and, and Josiah needed that kidney as soon as possible. You know, and Josiah wouldn't be here today if maybe if he didn't get that kidney when he did. So, um, yeah, I mean, Mason's life is an amazing testimony in itself. So touch on that from a dad's perspective, Seth, right? You're sitting here, you have what the world would see as just this, this really disabled kid. You both have shared how many lessons he taught you. Now he's literally provided life. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you know, it's bittersweet. You know, I mean, obviously nobody wants to see their, their child go. 
Um, but, you know, in hindsight, they always say, you know, 2020, right? You really get that clear picture because you don't see it when you're going through it. You know, you just don't. And, and that's really God's divine intervention, right? His, his capacity is, is exactly that. It's, it's never ending. And so he can do everything and, and you have no idea really what's going on or what the purpose is. I, I used to get so upset when people would say, Everything happens for a reason, and it would just make me angry, and I'm already an angry person, right? I'm trying to get over that. Don't say that to me, and you know, now as I'm getting older and I can look back on how things have uh, kind of trickled down, you really, you can really see how everything does happen for a reason, and you know, losing him and then having my heart change to want another child it was really interesting then because, you know, this just shows you the power of, of prayer and just speaking things into existence. Um, you know, for the, the song that we just sang, My Fear, I don't like singing it like that because it's not my fear. It's that fear. It's not mine. I'm not going to claim it. I'm not going to have anything to do with that. So I sing that fear. And so same thing with Obadiah. When... I was saying it's time to have an, uh, it's time to have our boy. There was no doubt. It was we're going to have Obadiah. We never talked about another name. We never considered it being a girl. And although we had naysayers, well, how you, how do you know? I just know my God is good. And and so you know, again, there's a reason for everything. And and although you don't see it in in the moment. You know, God's there. He's never going to forsake you. He's always working for you. Awesome, man. And so, as we wind down, you said, hey, everything is, is for a purpose. Two things. Number one, what is the purpose of the Diamatos? If you said, hey, like, this is one thing that we stand for that we want you to, to undoubtedly know, A, what is that? And then B, you have a pretty big change coming up. Talk about that. So I'll leave you with two words that I, I really hope that you take from our story. Um, and that's forgiveness is first and foremost, and then faith, right? So, you know, the Bible says if you don't forgive others, he's not going to forgive you. And as you see with our story and with what Daryl was saying is it forgiveness frees you. Right. It lets you go on with your life. And then on the other side of it, faith is you have to always maintain your faith. There was times where I didn't want to talk to God. I didn't want to see God because I was upset with him thinking that, you know, woe is me. Why am I having to lose all these people in my life? And, you know, having the faith and maintaining is how I'm here where I'm at today. I wouldn't have the wonderful wife and the two fantastic kids that I have if I didn't go through these experiences. Not everybody's going to be the same. Some may be difficult, some may not be. Um, but forgiveness and faith, those are the, the two big things I hope you take. As far as uh, new chapters, we, um, you know, when I found out Obadiah was on his way, uh, my first thing to my wife is, I need to find a new job that will pay me enough to keep you at home. So my whole goal, once I found out she was pregnant, is to stay in the same field of work, which is the mortgage industry, 
but yet make enough money that she doesn't have to work anymore. Um, which, if you knew us earlier in life, that it's, it probably would have been impossible, you would think, because we both worked multiple jobs our entire life up until recently. Um, you know, when I met her, she was working three jobs. I was working two, sometimes three, doing my own business stuff. And, um, you know, fortunately, through the years, I was able to get her down to one. And then as of um, October of 19, I was able to, you know, with the, the help of the Lord, of course, uh, she's now a stay-at-home mom. So I am an underwriter for a mortgage company. I was equity at Equity Resources, and now I'm at Castle and Cook Mortgage. They're based out of Utah. So in my short time here, I must have, you know, done some, some pretty good things because um, they decided to pr- promote my manager up, and they asked me if I'd be interested in taking on a new position. Um, the catch to that is, is it revolves a relocation. So after much uh, prayer and seeking counsel, we feel that we are being led to Utah. So we are headed to Utah, and that's the next chapter. I just wanted to say, too, that when Seth got the job in October, we knew you know, that it was based out of Utah, and he just flippantly, you know, said like, oh, wouldn't it be crazy if we ended up in Utah one day? Like if I got, you know, if I end up getting that manager job sometime or, you know, just never expected it. There was no manager job available at the point. Yeah. It's just, it's just funny because it's like almost like God was kind of preparing our hearts even then, you know, for this to be an opportunity that was coming up for us. And it's again, neat to look back at that point in time. We didn't know, you know, what was going on, but then here's God saying, look, I was trying to tell you then, I was preparing you all this time, and here we are making this change and uprooting our family and uh, excited to, you know, extend the kingdom of God there in Utah. Well, I can say that your life change family is going to miss you a ton. You guys are definitely a part of us. You both are on serve teams um, and have been faithful to Life Change Church, so we're excited for you, but we're going to miss you. Um, I want to pray a prayer of blessing over you guys. Other than obviously the move itself, right? You're in contract contingent upon the sale of your house here. So life change, that's definitely something you guys can be in prayer for. But what else can we specifically pray for during this time? Well, for me specifically, um, you know, I've got a, a heart to give, give to my father in heaven. And so that's why I'm so passionate about serving here at Life Change because, you know, I've never, I've never really, I just fell in love with this church. I mean, the, the motto of love people to life change is exactly that. I mean, everything and everybody here is so loving. And so I just wanted to give back to that. And so that's, if you were looking for something to pray for us on or for me on, that it would be that is what's that next chapter for me? Because I can promise you, God didn't open this door for me to get a, a new title and some more money. He's got another purpose. And trying to figure that out is the next roller coaster. Hands are up. I'm excited. And, you know, help me find what that, that new serve is going to be. And Tanya, what about you? Um, for me, you know, being a stay-at-home mom now after working for so many years, and it had always been a dream of mine to be able to stay at home with my kids. And um, although it was something that I really looked forward to, it's it's also something that's difficult for me. You know, I've kind of lost myself a little here and there, and you you lose contact with people and you think, wow, I don't have any friends anymore, you know? And um, 
I just really, I want to be able to go out to Utah and be bold enough to reach out to people and to become friends and ask questions and get to know people for who they are and uh, bring people to Christ and find something maybe that I am passionate about that I don't even know right now that I'm passionate about, you know, find ways to um, be involved in the community. Well, before we pray, I just want to say thank you to, to both of you. You had some really, really personal things happen. You were willing to share them. Um, Tanya, you said to me it was because of Natasha Neely, who if you've, you've been here for over a year, you know Brian and Natasha uh, moved to Kentucky, like similar to Seth and Tanya. Before that, they were with us. They served. And last summer, they shared their story. And, and Natasha's story is not that much different than yours from the abuse standpoint. And you said, it's because of Natasha that I found courage. I found I wasn't alone. And that's why you wanted to share your story today. And so church, that's why we do this, is so that we can be encouraged and know we're not alone. And so I just want to say thank you. Ralph and Diane, I want to say thank you to you for being here this morning as well, because part of your story was told today. And I just want to say thanks for supporting Tanya in a, in a really difficult time and for laying that foundation of Christ. Um, but let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you through the authority of the name of Jesus Christ and the, and the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, and God, I, I thank you for Seth and Tanya. God, I thank you for godly parents um, who laid a foundation of Jesus Christ. Uh, your word says <clears throat> that you're faithful and that your word does not return void and that children that are raised in Christ will return to their foundation. And that's what we've heard this morning put on display for all to see. Again, proclaiming the goodness of God. It would have been so easy for Seth or for Tanya to just say, forget it, I'm done and blame you instead of relying on you. And instead they cried out to you and God, you were faithful. And so I pray God that Seth and Tanya as they venture into their new chapter <clears throat> will will rest on that. They'll rest on the faithfulness of God. You have been faithful up to this point. You are not going to choose today to stop being faithful. And so I pray for them as they move to Utah. Um, God, I pray not just for them, but for Mia. God, I pray for their family here that's going to go through uh, missing them. <clears throat> but God, I pray for Seth and for Tanya. Help them to find a church. God, show them, reveal to them the spiritual purpose of why you're bringing them out there. Let them find their place in Utah, a place that they can serve and still say God is good. And then God, I do pray specifically for Tanya. Being a, a stay-at-home mom can be very lonely. I pray that you remind her, Holy Spirit, that you're with her so she's never alone. And then I ask also, God, <clears throat> that she doesn't just build relationships with women who are of faith, but God, put women in her path that are hopeless, maybe that have experienced some of the same things she's encountered, that she can speak boldly into their lives the hope of Jesus Christ, the transforming power of forgiveness first that you give us and then you empower us to give to other people the last time i pray bring them a buyer for their home we ask god give them favor in jesus name we pray amen well seth and tanya thank you so much for sharing your story with us <clears throat> i appreciate that life change as we kind of wind down this morning i want to share a verse that that seth asked me to share this morning um, it comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 10. This is verse 13. It's the amplified version. And it says this, 
No temptation, regardless of its source, has overtaken or enticed you that is not common to the human experience. Nor is any temptation unusual beyond human resistance. But God is faithful. To his word he is compassionate and he is trustworthy. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability to resist. But along with the temptation he has in the past, he is now, and he will always provide the way out as well so that you will be able to endure it without yielding to it, and you will overcome temptation with joy. If you listen to Seth and Tanya's story, so many times they could have blamed God. So many times they could have stayed angry. So many times they could have stayed hurt. Maybe you don't know what it's like to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Maybe you have experienced some of the same hurt that Tanya experienced. Maybe it's something different, but the same magnitude, and you're just carrying that pain, carrying that hurt, carrying that agony, and you don't know what it's like to walk in forgiveness. Maybe you're like Seth. Did you hear what he said? I had so much anger in me. I didn't have any more room, so it just came out. A container only has so much space before what's in it comes out. And he said, I had to make a change because it was impacting my family. And that change was placing my hope in Christ. Being willing to address the issues inside of me in a trusting, loving relationship and then present them to Christ. And that's where my life began to change. And so if you don't know Jesus, I would love to chat with you this morning. You can reach out to one of our leaders on Facebook. We want to share this hope of Christ. This is the very reason we share these stories so that you know that you're not alone and you don't have to succumb to the temptation of walking away from Christ. Instead, we can lock hands and walk towards Christ. In the seat back in front of you, you'll find a connect card. There's a spot on there that you can mark. I want to receive Jesus this morning. There's also a spot on there that you can mark what your next step is in your walk with Christ. Maybe it is you need to forgive somebody so you can experience the freedom of Tanya, who still today honors her brother. I want to pray with you. Corbin will want to pray with you. You can mark that on your card. Maybe it is I need to let go of anger. Maybe it's I need to journey away from anger. Well, the way you journey away from anger is journeying towards Christ. If you have a step in your relationship with Jesus that you need to take, go ahead and mark that on the card. I'm going to pray in a moment, and then you will exit this side of the sanctuary out the door, and there's a spot in the box to drop your card. Let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you and the authority in the name of Jesus Christ and through the power of the Holy Spirit. Again, God, I, I marvel at your goodness. I marvel at a story like Seth and Tanya's and they still declare the goodness of God. That's how faithful you are. Uh, I love Tanya said, why not choose God? He's always been faithful. Yeah, I had some really difficult times in my life, but why not choose God? He's faithful, and you are, and you're, you always are. And so, God, I pray for the one who maybe is in a place of desolation this morning. They're hurting. They're broken. They're alone. Uh, God, I pray that through Seth and Tanya's story, they found hope in Christ. And I ask right now, Holy Spirit, that you minister to that individual in an intimate 
in a passionate and a convicting way that they recognize and realize their need for Jesus Christ. And right now, I ask that you come into their life, forgive them of their sin, set them free from their shackles, and start their life anew today. And then, God, I pray for the one who is struggling, who does need to to take a step towards Christ, who has a next step to take, God, I pray that you draw them to yourself. God, I pray that you give them the courage to reach out to a friend who will encourage them, support them, hold their hand, walk with them. The devil's favorite tactic is to isolate us, but we are not alone. We're the body of Christ, and it takes all of us marching towards the same goal, the same purpose, which is sharing the hope of Christ with others. So I pray for that person this morning. Let them find strength to reach out for help. And then, God, I just pray a prayer of blessing over Life Change Church. God, I thank you for the blessing that Life Change was to the community yesterday, serving the Look Up Center. God, I thank you for this group of people that still has been generous in their giving. Bless them, I pray, God, and help us to reflect Jesus Christ as we go forth. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Life Change Church podcast. If you were here today and you were listening and you made a decision to follow Christ, we would love to hear about it. Or maybe you're here and you're listening and that God is asking you to make the next step with whatever that it is in your life. We would love to hear about it and partner up with you. If you would, go to www.mylifechangechurch.com and under the media section, please fill out the contact us information and let us know if you made a decision to follow Christ. Let us know what God is asking of you. And if you need prayer, we would love to partner up with you in prayer as well. We hope that you enjoyed the podcast and that it both encouraged and challenged you. Have a great week.